From my calculations, we have two more Sundays in here after today, and that means the dates you need to remember are July 7th, we're not in here, we're really not anywhere, (laughs) but I've heard great plans that you're going to be in some churches that you've not gotten to uh, visit with, with families on July 7th, and Some of you are going to worship with your small groups, and so July 7th is an important day for you to be creative in how you're going to worship the Lord, but not here. June 30th will be our our last Sunday here. And you know, my dad growing up always told me, he said, make sure that whenever you leave a job, make sure that your best day at work is your last day. I just pray by God's grace that our last two Sundays here, including today, will will be among our best. We'll... um, Not just the best, our attitude toward here, but the best that we're crying out to God. Thank you for the 16 years here, and we want to encounter you again. On July 14th, which is our first Sunday in the new building, please come at 1030. If you come at 10, you'll be there for an extra 30 minutes of fasting and prayer, because we're not cranking up till 1030, our, our new meeting time. So 1030, July 14th, I'll see you on Asheville Highway. Let's pray. Father, my Sunday's done. My heart is filled. My spirit is filled with hope that your mercy is more. I am grateful, Lord, for that even since last Sunday when we said it and saw it in the text. This week has proven for me a necessity by my own experience of living less than the glory of God deserves. I thank you that your mercy is more than my sin. Your mercy is more than any failure. Your mercy has kept me as a child of God and has caused you to smile upon me with pity, with renewing grace, with your ever-present desire to use me, to bless me, because your mercy is more than my sin. I pray today, Lord, that someone, if that's all they needed to hear, would just rest right now, that that's a promise of Scripture. The grace of God is great, and the mercy of God is rich. Father, I pray all over the world, everywhere the air blows, if where people walk and eyes look and ears hear, that the atmosphere would be stronger with that message than with the powers of darkness. The grace of God is great and the mercy of God is rich. And may millions of people, Lord, we thank you for the thousands who are responding around the world today, but we pray for millions of people in 2019 through our church's witness and sister churches all across the land to see people believe that your mercy is the greatest hope, need, satisfaction of life. We pray this thankfully because the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
In 1908, Gutzon Berglum completed a bust of Abraham Lincoln, and Lincoln's son said it was the finest, the most extraordinary portrait he had ever seen of his father. On the day that he completed it, Berglum's maid came in, who had been watching his work from the beginning as a sculptor, and said, how did you know that Mr. Lincoln was in that stone? Abraham Lincoln emerged from that marble because of the will and the work of the artist, that it, play, it pleased him to shape the marble from a raw piece into a stunning image of a president. You exist today because God had a vision for your existence. You're here because God willed that you would be here. And through Jesus Christ is the will of God to use you for his great Purposes. Continuing our study in Ephesians 2, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 is really the third verse in a trilogy, which to me is my favorite, briefest explanation of the whole gospel found in the New Testament. We're only going to look at verse 10, but I want you to see how it's connected and how the whole Christian life is combined in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace, and we'll look at these later. I wanted to save these verses for the new building, so I am, I can. The head honcho. Oh, well, not really, but made an executive decision. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, this not from yourselves is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then our verse today, we're God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word workmanship comes from the Greek word poema, which can refer to a song, a poem, a writing, a sculpture, any masterpiece where rhythm and reason and order and creativity have been worked together to produce beauty. So it's not God's brilliant sunsets over the ocean or his snow-capped mountain peaks that are his finest expressions of his beauty. It is you, recreated through Jesus Christ, are his poema, his masterpiece. Now some of you probably look at that word workmanship, masterpiece, poema, poem, uh, beautiful writing, song, and say, I feel anything but beautiful today. If you could have seen my life this past week or any of the months and years that preceded it, I feel more like a massive failure than a masterpiece. How can I be beautiful? Well, the answer is found in this phrase, in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you always have to ask yourself, uh, when a word is used 150 times in the New Testament, it must be important. In Christ, through Christ, with Christ, combined with, is used 150 times in Paul's writings. So Paul says, when you are created or recreated in through with Christ, at that moment, you become a beautiful masterpiece of God. So twice in the world, God is created. In the beginning, God created bara by his power. 
Here in Ephesians 2.10, God created by his suffering. So God created the world by power. He recreated the world by the suffering of Christ. Now, in this second chapter of Ephesians, as it began, we saw last week, how we looked prior to God's creative work in our life. Our pre-Christian look was horrible, dead in transgressions and sins. We gratified the cravings of our flesh, deserving of God's wrath. And this would be a hopeless description if it were not for verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. I saw Ronnie share these verses with a truck driver this week who was delivering goods to the new facility. It's too big of a story to share today, but that was the verse of the gospel which he wanted to convey, and it was beautiful. So when God found us in our pre-Christian condition, he didn't take a chisel and chisel all the bad parts away. When he looked at Richard, all he saw was a clump of deadness. It's not like he chiseled away the bad so that the good would come out. All of me was dead. And so then he sent Christ down across for sins. He raised Christ from the grave. Christ ascended to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit convinced me, persuaded me to believe the message of Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. And at the moment of my belief, I became alive and I became a masterpiece, a poema, a beautiful work of God. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if any was and is in Christ, the new creation has come, same word, as Ephesians 2.10, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. I'm a new creation. My old life is dead. It can never condemn me. It doesn't have the power to control me. I walk with Christ in his newness as if I have been resurrected each morning when I rise from the bed. Jesus is closer to me than the blood that flows through my body. He speaks to me through my conscience, and he works through my personality. In Christ, I'm a new creation. To celebrate that victory every day is the source of all my hope and joy. I may have failed yesterday, but today I'm new because my mind accepts the truths about Jesus Christ, and my will and my heart cling to him. I am new, the old has gone. And through this newness, he has given me works to perform. Now, I've probably preached on Ephesians 2.10. In my 33 years of ministry, I, I counted, I think I've preached on Ephesians 2.10 on five different occasions. So, I could have used any of those um, in the past, but I just wanted to learn and grow. So what I found interesting this week in my study, what's new in here, what I found were the three kinds of works. You see good works, the three kinds of works that are mentioned in the Bible. There are, it's not just good works that are mentioned, it's works of darkness. 
humanistic works and God glorifying works. So let's look at the three kinds of works there are in Scripture. The works of darkness are described in Romans 13, 12. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Jesus Christ not only invites you into a life of cherishing goodness, he died on a cross that you would be free from works of darkness. How in the world can divine blood be shed for this body to make it new and I give it back to doing works of darkness? He died so that I'd be freed from works of darkness. Christ did not die on a cross that I may fill my head with Bible stories. He didn't die on a cross. He didn't rise from the dead that I might be an expert in speaking about the doctrine of propitiation. He didn't die on a cross that I might just feel better today. He died on a cross that I would be freed, no longer bound by powers of darkness. Second type of works that the scripture mentions are humanistic works. Galatians 2.16, by the works of the law, no one will be freed, justified, freed from guilt. So those who come to God through humanistic works, they believe God's a liar. When he says you need Christ to be made new, they say, no, I, I can work Enough so that my good outweighs my bad. I don't need a savior. So they give themselves to humanistic thinking, believing that human behavior will, good human behavior will qualify them for heaven. Jesus already told us how that thinking will work out. Matthew 7, 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? You ever done that? For those of you who are trying to get to heaven by your goodness, your power, your religious devotion, and you're in your name, perform many miracles. You ever performed a miracle? Finding my shoes this morning, close to a miracle? Never performed a miracle? And then Jesus said to these people, you're trying to you know, come to him through humanistic works, not relying on him, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, the most dreadful words I think there are in Scripture. Christ saying, you didn't rely upon me for goodness. Get away from me. I never knew you. Alexander McLaren says, the ultimate worth of an action depends upon its motive. So what makes an action good? Who are you doing it for? If you're doing it for humanistic Motivation to please God through human effort, it's a bad work. If your motive is to celebrate the grace of God and the mercy of Jesus Christ, then your service to God is good. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 23, if you make a tree good, its fruit will be good. You don't need to just be better, do better. Everything in your former life needs to be cut down, 
buried with Christ and replanted in the soil of his righteousness and raised up and all motives come out of your celebration that he has made you good, then your works will be good. Third type of work, the scripture mentions as a God-glorifying work. The first two were negative. This is the only one in the scripture that's positive of works. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God has prepared every believer to use his life in a way that will cause people to see and love and cherish God. This past week, I had numerous opportunities to watch God, to watch God's people give themselves to this verse, to believe this verse, to give their life for good works that would cause God to be seen. Last week at this time, I gave reference to a couple in the back. They serve in the Middle East, husband and wife, two children living in very hot condition in a town in the Middle East, and they have moved there. Now, last winter, it was so cold in their house, which was just simply bricks, they let us know, and we were able, I mean, so cold, it was like colder inside the house than outside the house. And you as a church glorified God by buying them two heaters for their home. Why would they move there? Because they live there and they have conversations and they go to coffee shops and they establish relationships and they're planting their, their life. Right now there are assignments there. At one time their life was China. One time their life was North Korea. Now their life is in the Middle East. And they hang out waiting to have conversations with people who are trying to find God through Islam and have never found peace by all the religious works of Islam. Not long ago, they're in a coffee shop talking with a man, and the night before, he was on his rooftop and was approached by a man wearing all white. And he said, when that man came to me, I was surrounded by the most beautiful feeling of supernatural peace and joy and hope in my life, and he disappeared. And that man asked that couple who left America to move and go every day to that coffee shop, is that man Jesus? And he's now a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because they said, we have something we can do. We can use our skills We can use our training from college to move to the Middle East and glorify God. Then last Monday night, I had a privilege of camping for just a few hours. Couldn't take a whole week of it with the students. But I got to go for a few hours to come closer to Spartanburg Methodist College and listen to a missionary who left college, moved to the Amazon, four hours, this is after 
boat ride, train ride, or a, a plane ride, bus ride, and a four-hour boat ride up the Amazon River. And with three other men, cleared out a place, hunted for their own food for two years, so that one year and a half after they arrived, they made contact with a tribesman the first time in his life that tribesman had seen somebody from the civilized world and shared the gospel and helped him find Christ. After leaving there, the Amazon, it was God's odd purpose to take that man off the mission field for 25 years because of a disabled son, lived up the road in Inman for those 25 years, and then in 2003 went back to Myanmar, Burma, and ministered to Buddhist monks and headhunters and factory workers that were working in Malaysia and were headed back to North Vietnam with the gospel. These people realized, I have one life, and it's, I'm here to do the works of God. I also had a beautiful time this week seeing other elite missionaries out on Asheville Highway in our new building, putting together children's toys and assembling desks for students. And I just looked at all the busy people working, putting up little chairs, little tables. And I thought, and I, and I was out there several times after that night and going back in those classrooms and thinking about the children that are going to hear of Jesus Christ in those chairs, around those tables, and the parents who are going to come into that beautiful worship center and mom and dad are going to get saved, sins forgiven, new life planted in the new soil of Christ while their children are being taught around those tables and chairs and marriages will be saved because dad got saved because somebody set up chairs and assembled chairs. I was able to glorify God this week. Yesterday was Anna's first wedding shower. So Lisa wanted the grass to be somewhat at the equivalent of the Augusta National. It's like the wedding shower was somewhere else, but she said they might come to our house. I said, who, who would do that? Uninvited. She said, they're women, they might. I want to be ready. So we got to honor Lisa cut grass, wash windows, polish floors for me. <laughs> I enjoyed them. <laughs> and my wife enjoyed them. Honored God. How yesterday did I fulfill God doing works for which Jesus Christ died and honored God? I, I did that. The day before, I drove to Augusta picked up my mom from her assisted living home and took her to Costco so that we could get her hearing aids readjusted so she could hear again. Everything matters in life to the God who created all matter.
This week when I study, and I also was just absolutely blown away how important works are in the New Testament. How important are works? Number one, Christ died to produce people who are zealous for good works. How important is it to live your life working for God? Titus 2.13, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Jesus hung on a cross for six hours so that I could preach a sermon today that by his blood would be acceptable to God the Father and would have the power to change a heart in this place or on the web. His blood is about to make guitar strings and vocal cords meaningful to our ears. He died so that we would be zealous about serving him. How important are God's works? Well, we fulfill the purposes of God. We fulfill the purposes of God as he works through us. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do you know most of the time when we're doing God's work, we don't really know exactly why we're doing it. I've spent 33 years of teaching, and I just know that this is what I'm supposed to do with my life, but I really can't tell you on any given Sunday what just happened. Why? why? What was that about? I don't know. I just know that God has a will for my life if I'm not about his purposes, his works in me and through me, I miss his purpose for my, my life. If two angels were sent to this earth, one to rule an empire, and one to sweep streets, they would never argue on the way which was given the greater task or which angel was greater. Both would be great because God had sent them to serve him. All that matters is we do the works of God and let him decide what the works really mean. Number three, why are works important? We honor God as we allow him to work in us and through us, we honor God. Colossians 1.19, Paul's prayer. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good deed. The sun is created to shine, fish are created to swim, birds are created to fly, and you are created to do the works of God. It's your purpose to do his works. Those who don't work for God are not pleasing to God. They're like an axe that never fails a tree, a hammer that never drives a nail. Ephesians 2.10, again, love it. 
We are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Look at, look at the two massive things that are said in verse 10. You have been prepared for specific works and then specific works have been prepared for you. Two different things. This has to do with your gifting. The top, the top word, the top phrase, your gifting and your experience. The bottom phrase has to do with opportunities that God sets before you. So as you walk with God and he shapes you, your gifts and shapes them through experiences, then he opens doors for new works that God has prepared for you. I love G. Campbell Morgan's take on this. God has been ahead of me, preparing the place to which I'm coming, manipulating all the resources of the universe in order that the work I do may be a part of his whole and gracious work. God's working with a plan. He uses education. He uses skills and gifts. He uses success. He uses suffering. Every moment of your life matters to God. Every moment of your life right now is like a raindrop that falls into a creek. That creek runs into a river. That river runs into an ocean. And if you really look at an ocean, it's nothing more than a giant pool of raindrops that God has assembled. Every drop of water, individually, now connected with the eternal purposes of God. Nothing random in my life about Thursday of last week. I can't tell you exactly what it all meant. Every time I'm with my mom, I can't tell you exactly what I'm doing. She won't remember the next day. This week, our mission, apart from Costco was to, and hearing aids, was to buy her a Keurig coffee maker so she could have coffee in the morning in her room. Over and over again, we went through cup after cup. How do you make this? And I know the next day she will wonder why this piece of technology is on her counter. How in the world that trip to North Augusta and back, what was it about? I don't know, but somehow it was a drop of water that fits in the ocean of God's eternal purposes. And I was obedient to go see Mama. That's all I know. Nothing random about last week. The minutes connected with the hours. The hours will connect to a week. The week will connect to a month. The month will connect to a year. And before you know it, you have 75 of those things called years. And that's a life. And you only have one of them to serve God. You guys remember reading Death of a Salesman in high school? About Willie Loman, who was a salesman, and his whole life he... He, he gave too much time, too much energy, too much obsession with sales. They became an idol. He burned himself out, eventually took his own life. And at the end of the story, he has his family that he was separated from because of his, his obsession with his work. 
His, his son, was uh, Biff, was standing around his father's graveside, and his, his son said at the funeral, my father had the wrong dreams. Men, it's Father's Day. <laughs> my dream for my life is, apart from, you know, moment by moment, drop by drop, creek by creek, river by river, serving God, my purpose in life, from my perspective and my ability, is the radiance of my wife. It's what I'm responsible for. How's her joy, her hope, by the way I act, things I say. Last night, we got a prayer request late at night. Both of us wanted to go to bed. I take her hand. Let's pray. Because when it comes to the end of my life, I don't want it to be said upon me at my funeral, he had the wrong dreams. I want to be like K.P. Yohanan, great worker, born in Kerala, India in 1950. He came to Christ at age eight, gave his life to ministry when he was 16. In 1971, he traveled to Singapore to a conference to attend the Haggai Institute, Leadership Development Institute. Uh, great leadership training across all spectrums of life. During one afternoon, John Haggai challenged those who were in attendance and said, with one question, with one question, I want you to go back to your room, get a piece of paper, and answer this question. What is the single most important thing I can do the rest of my life to glorify God? And K.P. Yohanan said, I couldn't answer that question. For three years, he could not answer that question. He left Singapore with it unanswered. He returned to the States, pastored a small church in Dallas, Texas, still didn't answer that question. And after two years in that church, God finally revealed to K.P. Yohanan what he was supposed to do. The single most important thing he could do with his life was to dedicate all of his life and energy to reach the unreached people that are located in the 1040 window in Asia, all the way from Africa, West Africa to East Asia. It's home to the majority of the world's Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims. Approximately two-third or, or, or 2.3 billion people live in this 1040 window and so we started the Gospel for Asia Bible Society. Their goal was to place a copy of Scripture in every home of these 2.3 billion people. Yearly, they produce 50 million tracts. Dr. Yohannan has written 200 books and has trained 16,000 missionaries. Currently, the ministry operates 103 Bible, 133 Bible schools in India, Nepal, Bangladesh, Myanmar, Sri Lanka. 98% of its graduate, graduates operate, preach where the gospel has never been proclaimed. 
and they start 12 New Testament fellowships every day. All because a man dared to ask, what is the single most important thing I can do the rest of my life to glorify God? Would you dare ask that question? Let's pray. Jesus, more than ever, we thank you for the power of your blood that has rescued us from the works of darkness, the power of darkness, the works of death. We thank you that your blood and your life and your resurrected life that lives within us through the Holy Spirit has made us a masterpiece a beautiful, aesthetically God-pleasing new creation. Lord, thank you that our life matters to God. Thank you that our works matter to God. Father, thank you for every little tiny raindrop that's in this building today, seen by you, their tears heard by you, their self-image problems well known by you. I, I'm grateful, Lord, that there are raindrops. And their drop is as important as a, a raindrop called Moses, a raindrop called King David, a raindrop called the Apostle Paul. Because all that matters, Lord, is all of us Honoring Christ through our little daily task of obedience and worship. And you deciding how it's going to work out to accomplish your eternal plans. But I thank you, Lord, that because they came today, somehow it's important. Their sitting here today affects 10 years from now. A hundred years from now, they're sitting, they're listening, they're praying, they're repenting, they're giving. are important raindrops in the ocean of eternity. So here we are, Lord. We repent of our laziness. We repent of our doubting. We repent of our safety-seeking. We repent of our selfishness. We repent of bitterness our perversions, all of which, Lord, stop us from doing the precious works of God. We repent of that and return to you today and say, here am I. Send me and show me. Show us what's the greatest single thing we can do with our life that will bring glory to God and joy to the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us again? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust 
the sweetest friend But holy trust in Jesus' name In Christ alone A cornerstone Weak made strong In the Savior's love Through the storm He is Lord Lord of all My hope is built On nothing less Than Jesus' blood And righteousness I dare not trust The sweetest frame Holy trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord. seems to hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace in every high stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil Christ alone, call me. 